This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Well, this is the TriTech podcast, but uh, unfortunately, we have uh, well, we have bad news for the people out there that are familiar with the people of TriTech. Uh, a good friend of everybody and uh, a longtime supporter of TriTech, Terry Williams, died last night, and I'm not sure whether it was on my, uh, May the 24th or the 25th of 2016. Um, uh, I I saw in Alan Miranda's ad yesterday. Okay. Well, it was sudden, and it was it was not expected. It was sudden. Uh, you know, I won't talk about Terry's medical conditions, other than it was medically related. It wasn't like an accident or something. And so, everybody who knows him is shocked. Uh, he's been part of fandom up in Detroit for a long time, and I'll let uh, Trav talk about that. Uh, yeah, Terry was big into anime, and at local cons, he would run the anime rooms, and had a wide selection of stuff. He introduced me to a few things while I, uh, matter of fact, last Memorial Day, I'm blanking on the name now, but yeah, it was him at a mutual friend's house who introduced me to this series. Uh, also, he was big in, recently, in the past couple years, helping to work the Motor City Comic Con. And he would always let me know, usually, when he, I would see him at local cons when he was with Rich, or when he'd actually be in my chat room for my radio show and he would let me know, hey, we got Colin Baker this year or, you know, and just as I said, I've known Terry for about 10 years now. I met him through Rich and local cons like Conclave and uh, Confusion. And yeah, coming out of work today, my phone blew up with this and I was just stunned. The last time I saw Terry was about a month ago of this taping at PenguinCon, working the Conclave room party, and he was letting me know that, okay, got the anime room all set, and I'm going to be helping out trying to resurrect Conclave, which is Detroit area's local sci-fi lit con. And just not more than a month later, boom. Uh, he will be missed. Uh, the next con I will probably be going to locally will probably be Fusion, and just there will be a void. Mm -hmm. I raised a glass for him already as soon as I got home, and just... That's all I can say. He will be missed terribly and remembered fondly. Yeah. Uh, the two things that I remember Terry the most for is one was making the fantastic cake for Richard Taholka and uh, Melody's wedding. Oh, God. Yeah, the cake was fantastic. Oh, yeah. gorgeous. He, he, uh, no, it was a, a tiered wedding cake that he, he baked himself, but it had an alien invasion taking place on it. There were aliens climbing <laughs> yep. up the cake. There were uh, there there were uh, cows being teleported up, you know, to, to flying spaceships. It truly was an amazing thing. Uh, it had a very strong Cthulian uh, uh, influence on it as well. Truly, it was something amazing to see. Uh, the other thing was is that he had had designed and produced some absolutely fantastic custom pens. And if you've been on, if you go onto his, onto Facebook, and uh, uh, I don't know if you can friend him at this point anymore, or whether, but uh, on his, on his site, uh, on his name page or whatever, uh, 
his homepage, uh, he has all these pictures of all the wonderful pens, steampunk pens, um, wooden pens made out of beautiful things. I mean, the metalworking and everything else on it, absolutely fantastic. I, I was thinking about commissioning, you know, a, a set of pens for my wife's birthday or somebody, you know, who's important because these were really fantastically, I mean, artistic. I mean, they, they were just fantastically done, and anybody would feel, you know, like they had a really great piece of writing instrument in their hands with the head of these. So now, of course, that's maybe too late. But in any regards, um, fantastically creative and artistic guy and uh, and all those things that Trav said. Um, John, also, you, um, oh, real quick, one other thing about gaming, local gaming history. Um if you are familiar with Palladium Books, the Mechanoid Invasion Trilogy, and the map of Gideon E., Lake Williams was named after him. He was involved with the Defilers way back when. Terry let me know this actually at uh, John's father's wake a few years back that he and I were talking as I was leaving, and he let me know that. So I was like, mind equals blown. So, yeah, Terry, local gaming, he had been involved for decades, and... I figured Alan Miranda would have been the guy that would have, you know, let it be known first of his passing. John? Well, I mean, I knew Terry through his various postings and, um, well, and also um, we spent a week at uh, Worldcon last year. So I got to know him there. And yes, he makes some wonderful pens. In fact, he was... Uh, he he would he, he didn't have a table, but he would he said basically any 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 table would work for him. So he, uh, you would see him at a uh, uh, up in a, up in the hospitality suite, hawking his pens to folks. So yeah, he was they were beautiful pens too. Uh, he was a he was a nice guy, and we both suffer from some some of the same medical me- me- maladies. So yeah, it's um yeah, it gets me uh, an urge to you know best see my doctor again soon. <sighs> But yeah, I got, but I'm gonna miss him. He was he was a nice guy. Yeah. Does uh, Terry have any uh, family? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm seeing posts. Actually, I saw saw a post from his. Uh, he's got. I think he's got a either a sister or a brother. Because I saw a post from his nephew. So yes, uh, I'm not f- totally familiar with his family. Um, unfortunately, but I think, uh, I think he has a sister and her family. So they're probably taking care of everything. So you know, where our condolences go out to his family. Right. And again, as I was mentioning about the pens, if his family would like to uh, uh, defray some of the costs of, of his uh, funeral or whatever by uh, making some of those pens available for purchase, then please let me know because I'll be glad to do my part. I'd hate to lose um, that very special part of, of Terry that I always really appreciated, plus all the other things that he had done, just fantastic stuff. I'm, I'm just the wrong person because you know I didn't know him as well as you guys did. We don't want to go on too much, but Michigan fandom has lost a huge resource, a, a great supporter, and uh, uh, an important per- person in its history. And you know, we're all a little bit, a little bit less because Terry has moved on to other things. And I just want to say thank you, you know, to all those you know who um, who uh, supported him and all those that uh, he loved. So uh, Terry, to you. Terry. Terry. There she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? 
Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa, she's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. Its mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. Aye, Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Oh, this is Rich. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of realizing that we had 400 pages of game that we've never talked about before, really. And we're going to fix that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course, of course, I have to do this now. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Santa Barbara, whose ongoing mission is to, is to deliver cargo and passengers on time and under budget, and to boldly go where no cargo ship has gone before. That was good. I like that. <laughs> that was cute, John. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Uh, we are uh, this week talking about FTL 2448. Uh, this is one of the very earliest games that was produced by TriTag Games. Uh, it was the third game produced, correct, Richard? Yes, it was. Okay. And as I recall from what you've told me many years ago, that um, back in the beginning when uh, TriTag Games was just four people uh, and four partners, uh, there was a bit of a dust-up over which game was going to get the uh, love and attention from TriTech. You were, as I recall, you were uh, supporting the idea that you'd Bureau 13, but some other people thought that FTL was the future and science fiction gaming was what you guys should be concentrating on, not this fantasy horror stuff. Well, actually, no. The first game we published was Fringeworthy because it was so uniquely new. And then we published FTL, and then the third game was Bureau 13. Oh. oh. Yep. Okay. But uh, was, you know, was, did you get a lot of pushback to not even do Bureau 13 because you, they wanted you to concentrate on FTL? Uh, they they wanted to see FTL come out. It was going to be a a, a snap bound edition of about a hundred pages, and uh, no no nobody was interested in Bureau Thirteen because there were no games like that. But Traveler existed, so there was a market for FTL. Yep. Sort of. Yep. At the, at the time, there was only Traveler. And then we got FTL out, but there was so much more of FTL that that should have come out immediately. Yeah. Now, so, Richard, you told me when, when FTL was first released, when they printed the binder, because it came out of a plastic binder with the little clips, they printed it uh-huh. upside down. Well, no, as a matter of well, fact. Well, but the problem was they, they printed the binder 
and nobody had ever put a game in a binder like that. And ah. the, the distributors were nuts, and they said, it's never going to sell. It's in a plastic binder. It's a game. As it turns out, yeah, it did. We, we sold a 1,000 of them almost immediately. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I think you came out with some supplements for it that actually fit right into the binder. Yep, we sure did, which was uh, was star charts. Um, the mm-hmm. uh, Let's see, what else? Um, star oh. charts and uh, Cop 2448. And yep. then uh, the... We didn't... I don't think... I don't remember that we actually did Star Pirates. But... Uh, no. we, Needed a map. We needed the maps, and uh, that was that was amazing. Yeah. So they all fit yep. together, and the Kansas blueprints, thousand foot crater. Oh yes. Yep. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So and I, was done uh, by Malcolm Malcolm Cleveland, who passed away some years ago. Yeah. Oh now, yeah, I, I remember. Yeah. Now, of course, this the the big secret about this was that when we first started playing, or at least the game I started playing wasn't Tritech standard rules. It was Traveler, wasn't it, Richard? Well, what happened was we wanted to do a space game. And so I, I did a 90-mile pilgrimage to buy a copy of Traveler in Lansing, Michigan. Brought mm. us home, and uh, basically we generated two characters, a Grand, grand Fleet Admiral you know, highly experienced, whatever, who dies in training. And then we decided to generate another one who died in training. And I slapped the box against the wall and said, you know, we could do something different, something yeah. a little more science fiction-y that wouldn't be like this. Oh, yeah. I mean, and tra- as it turns been out, my big did. problem with Traveler, the, the generation, character generation, is like, what do you mean you die in training? I just spent 10 minutes rolling dice and... That's always been my big problem with Traveler. I've never played it just because of that. Every, every GM. Well, Mark, Mark changed that after a little yeah. while, and which was great. I got yeah. to sit down with him and uh, me and him and uh, Pete Rogan, who was one of the greatest Star Trek GMs of all time. And we just we had a great conference. And uh, it must have been 100 people watching us talk about space. Yeah, I, I remember Traveler being the only game where you can have a retired rear admiral, retired general, retired master gunnery sergeant of the Marines, a thirty-year scout, and a noble and a noble of the, of the royal family hopping into the scout ship and having adventures in the Spinwood Marches. I ran that game. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's basically it's, it's Schwarzkopf, uh, the whoever who pick an admiral from the a retired admiral from the navy. You know, who, you know, basically, it's it's a bunch of people who are all being run with Prince Philip of the of the of the British royal family, flying around in a DC three having adventures. <laughs> well, uh, the, the traveler was very Dunish yeah. in many ways, and uh, there there was a, a some popular culture that went into it. But it wasn't the gritty popular culture that I adored. And Star Trek was just Star Trek. It was too clean. Yeah, and actually one one person said, actually one review I remember reading about Traveler, it was basically more as, 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 it was basically like, it was basically something. Asmothian. Asmothian, thank you. Or from Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. It basically would fit perfectly. There are no aliens. There's human worlds everywhere. 
in various states of, of, of technology, and you're flying around in a spaceship visiting them all. There really was no background story to the original box set. It was just completely open, but you were forced to wear one of six hats. Well, which was interesting when they finally got around to the aliens, the aliens were purely out of H. Beam Piper's works. He had been dead for about a decade and a half. Yeah, public debate. The, uh, oh, absolutely. No, no public demand at that point. But uh, it, it definitely uh, the, uh, the, oh, the, the dog-like the things. Oh, yeah, all of that was straight mm-hmm. out of Piper. And which yep, is yep. they they did a good job. I, I can't I can't fault them on that. But it just it made me sad because I was such a Piper fan. Yeah, and I yeah. wouldn't touch into Piper's universe ever. No, but uh, but then your game came out. I mean, it, it basically, we, we look at we look at the history there. I mean, basically, of all the sci-fi games that were out at the time, mm-hmm. um, the only two that most if you mention their names, people might have heard of. You know, Metamorphosis Alpha. And Traveler. I mean, maybe you might find somebody who has heard of Starships and Spacemen. <laughs> maybe. Or, or Space Opera. But basically, it was Traveler. was the big game yep. out there. And then uh, we got the review from Bill Barton in Space Gamer, which was a 14-page review of FTL, which mm-hmm. really jump-started us. Yeah. Oh yeah, and it was a, uh, it was. It, it, yeah, I remember reading that review too. It was a great review. Someone I think wrote I a fourteen-page review for the game. Yep. Yeah. That was, that's some love there. That that. <laughs> oh, Barton was great. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and it, I mean, basically, the a lot of folks have said that you know, you look at FTL twenty four forty eight, it's a great place to run a game like uh, we mentioned this during, during during our pre call. Uh, like the current the current TV series The Expanse, or you know, or or Alien, or Firefly, or Outland, or Alien. It's the same kind of gritty universe. Yeah, but it's not grim dark though. That's the important thing. FTL is not grim dark. It's just gritty. You know, I, I mean, it's not like Warhammer, which is you know grim dark to the nth degree. <sighs> I've kind of um, described this to people because I've, I've, they, I have people who ask, you know, what's your podcast going to be tonight? And I explain the game, and I kind of, I, I kind of have to mundanes. I kind of have to dumb it down to it's a mix of Star Trek and B five. Yeah, it's that exploration, but you also have mm-hmm. civilian freighter pilots, and it's all based on hard science fiction extrapolated theory. You're not mm-hmm. going to have a lot of techno babble here. Yeah. And we had a wonderful, wonderful reference on Bureau 13 in Babylon 5, because yeah. one of the writers of Babylon 5 was a very serious gamer. And uh, he, he borrowed some stuff, and then, unfortunately, he got fired uh, because of it. And, you know, I didn't mind, but, of course, Fox Law said, no, this didn't exist. Except that it shows up in, in the novels. A little bit, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I was, and I was I, never angry. I, I actually laughed, and it was, a, it was a great at Marcon. Uh, Michael Straczynski and I were both on stage side by side, and before everything started, he looked at me and whispered, "Honest, I didn't know." I said, "I'm, uh, I'm not. yeah," but they also never acknowledged it either. Oh no, they yeah. couldn't. 
Uh, it's because of lawyers. Oh, no, no, no. Lawyers. I don't care. Yeah. They yeah. should. <laughs> it was what, the TNT network, was it at the time? Or was it... Uh... Turner. Warner. No, it had their own network. It was Warner Law. I, I, I still have all the paperwork here. Ah, uh, okay. I can't remember the name of this. Yeah, I can't remember the network. It got, it got eaten by some, something else. And basically yeah, the... I mean, it was really a fake network. It was like, you know, it had like maybe two shows in it or something. Yeah, it's sort of like the, the Paramount Network. And you always said, I always looked and said, okay, if you, you're the Paramount Network, yet, you're, yet your biggest moneymaker is not being shown on it. You know, Next Generation is being syndicated on every, every other channel, but not the Paramount channels. <laughs> I remember, the, I remember the, when Richard decided to, to start the, the game that I played in, first thing he asked was, what do you want to play? And I just just got done reading a lot of Larry Niven stuff, so I said, I want to play a Kazinti. Well, we can't do that, but we can play a big cat, and then we can build a universe, for, uh, a, a whole history for them. Okay, Richard, you're being legal there. For the first shut up, <laughs> first six months, first six months, he was a Kazinti. Yep. And then, then we went through the. Then they realized we're being serious about this, so we're going to. Uh, he's now a Kimnar, and by the way, the females are also sentient as well. Okay, you know. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it was a big thing. I mean, we. I think I was in two different playtest groups: the uh, Santa Barbara and what was the other ship? The uh, Lancaster. Yeah, the Lancaster. Uh, uh, I, I, ran a, I ran a game here, and I ran a game in Canada, and that was absolutely. They're still talking about the thing, and just it, it mm-hmm. disturbs me. Uh, Gee, thirty-five years later, they're still talking about your game. How terrible for you! Thirty-five <laughs> years later, yeah, yeah, man, the the, the burden you must be under. <laughs> oh, terrible! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Though I, I I've come to, I come to the point where now I, I you know uh, my character who's one of the only survive one of the, the only two surviving characters no three surviving characters because because most of the crew that said Barbara vanished and you don't say anything Richard <laughs> vanished okay and and the only survivors is my character he, he who loves small furry animals uh, Bill Wardrop's character was it his character. Yep. Yep. Eater of eater of canned foods, and the Empress of the Kimnar Empire. <laughs> What's her, what was her name? I can't remember her name. Uh, she who doesn't have two oars in the water. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, and it was and they're the only surviving characters because we all left the ship, and they went someplace and disappeared. But yeah, in the backstory we've created, we've created for this. Uh, Animals go go off and work for the enemy stars program, and then he's worked for that uh, son of a gun, Henderson Putnam, and and through the Earth Hagani War, which was pretty amazing. And then he ends up, you know, living in Alvarez Station around Formal Hut, basically being a he has a jazz band, and he's also the voice of his animated character in a. TV in, a, in an animated series of the Adventures of the Santa Barbara. That actually happened during in game. We we were we became so famous. We actually had someone want to do an animated series based on the Adventures of the Santa Barbara, and so Animal's still around, 
he's doing his own voice and he's pretty much living off the residuals and the royalties because he's because he's doing the voice he's a actor he gets paid for that and he gets royalties but he also knows that the disappearance of the Santa Barbara mm-hmm. an approximation of the something happened and they're still hunting to figure out what happened and to bring the ship home yeah and it's Putnam's fault <laughs> oh of course but he was on the Santa Barbara yeah so, yeah yeah but didn't he show up late didn't he show up later no. Okay. Never did. Unless it was clone. Nope. <laughs> all right. Hush. And then we have we have the only the one link between the, all of the games is that the Barlow, the uh, alien race, the the dogs, the green and brown striped dogs, mm-hmm. are very obviously a Termelon offshoot. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, but uh, now are they Termelon from the FTL universe, or are they Termelon from an alternate universe? Alternate universe. Yeah, and obviously they're the Termelon who decided to go with Psy instead of eschewing yep. it like they did in, in the standard. And, of course, there's the, then there are the other Termelon in the series, which sort of came out, uh, which are the the Vesh. Actually, the Vesh aren't Termelon. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're modified sharks. But their masters are Termelon. But they're Termelon who, de- who developed a star drive successfully, created a star drive. And they're the Termelon who nearly destroyed their own planet. And they're out there still doing it, at least in the, in the universe they came from, <laughs> destroying planets. <laughs> so, but luckily, the, 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 the Vesh who show up in the FTL yep. universe have broken ships. They have dead ships, so you don't have to worry about them, you know, having fun. We also covered a 200,000-year-before history, which is cute because Babylon 5 did the same thing, of, a, of an mm-hmm. ancient race that basically the two major interstellar races ran into each other, and they just killed each other. Yep, and we have some and, the leftovers. Uh, was, yeah, and there's a lot of leftovers they're finding because they're, they're now branching into those worlds where the uh mm-hmm. where the uh they're finding ruins and they're finding materials and weapons and things that they don't really want to deal with. The Kralvin, the Fritzians, the Grex, yep. the Zonki, and the Sandrals are all related to that two hundred thousand year ago war. Yeah, they're all they're all ancient races. Uh, in fact, the, the Grexians aren't even native to the world they're on, if I remember correctly. Yep, they were. In fact, they, they were on the wrong side, and they were punished very hard for what they did. And they've learned since. Mm-hmm. Not to be buttholes. No, we can't say that either. Uh, <laughs> sure we can. Let's give a little bit of background on this setting to help familiarize yep. people with mm-hmm. what it's about, how... Yep gotten to this the 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 history leading up to 2448 because that's a very specific number and it just seems like there ought to be a reason why it's set at that particular date well the original when bob sadler and i talked about it we started the world the whole universe out at about 2248 
And then we kind of filled in the blanks, and it was absolutely was perfect. But the 2248 was just mankind was getting out. They were, the starships were getting being built. And uh, 100 years later, it was just things were settling back down. And that's when the war was coming, the big war between the it's, it's very much if you look at the style and everything of 2448 it looks like 1937 world war ii because mm-hmm. the mankind is fighting a peaceful empire uh that's that's expanding which are the hagani and the zankis i wouldn't call the hagani peaceful <laughs> oh but there were different houses of the hagani Someone did not want war, and some absolutely thought that humanity was invoking war on them. Aren't the, the Hagani or the Hagu, aren't they fighting another war at the opposite end of their empire? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so really it's like they're kind of spreading themselves thin here. Yeah. But they're huge. The FTL space was a tennis ball compared to a basketball. Oh, jeez. Except... They were centralized, and everything that of uh, the core of the Kogani worlds was done for a reason. And unfortunately, you know, if if you're going to make you know sixty trillion left boots for Zankies, and you screw that up, there's going to be a lot of Zankies without left boots. <laughs> so that's yeah. was the problem was the the fact they were too centralized in what they were doing, and FTL space figured that out fairly early. Well, the thing is, it's like, if you're fighting a war on one front, you don't go and cheese off another group and start a war on another front. Because from what I'm reading with the Hagoni, oh yeah, we're all nice, and then they're sending in their mercenaries to do attacks. Meanwhile, the Hagoni themselves are like, yeah, we'd like to trade with you and everything, and their buddies are taking out frontier worlds. Yep, exactly. It was a perfect bad guy situation. And on the other side of FTL space, there's three or four other, the uh, the Dogo and some of the other races that I mentioned, who are just, but they're not big enough to do anything third. They're, they're also jerk, raging jerks. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, but then again, they're, they're, humanity is making a lot of friends. So. Not exactly in the Dale Carnegie way, but yeah. Well, yeah. And there are other I mean, things out there. There are some pretty amazing creatures out there that you know you you want to get to know, but you really don't know if you should or not. Yeah. They're very different. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to get that cough check. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, didn't now didn't. I want to say Paul Lipica, but didn't he? Uh, I may be getting the wrong person. Didn't he? Someone do a lar- a big background write up on the Hagoni and the Hagu? No, that was Eric. That was Eric Johnson, and Eric came up with the idea of the uh, of some of the 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 houses and other stuff, and it all fit in so well. And the fact that yeah. you know there were certain Hagani that did not want to fight with humans. Yeah, they want to do trade. Somebody was attacking the Hagani, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was. It was another house. It was this is this is a giant spatial Game of Thrones, if you think about it. Yeah. Long before George R. R. Martin, George R. R. Martin had uh, two nickels to put together. 
Yeah. Now, if I remember correctly, a lot of Haguni occupation is more along of a satrapy. That is, you have a hand a handful of Hagu showing up with a division or so of, of Zonkis and some and some support ships, and that's it. I mean, there's not a whole lot not a whole occupation. There's very few what you would really call colony worlds for the Hagu. They don't really do colonies. They make their worlds produce what they need. Yes. So it's it's a lot of inter inter trade between the various houses. And all the various lords, I've got the uh, the term, because uh, I think I got it from the novels, the, the various dukes are all going, we want to be the big bird, you know, and uh, and there's a lot of fighting in between Hagoni that way. It's very futile. And it's actually, I, yes. and, I, I, and reading through, uh, through, the, through the history, which is unfortunately unpublished, <laughs> Uh, there's this, uh, there's this, uh, and I, 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 I we're, this is no pun intended, but there's a definite pecking order amongst the Dukes, uh, <laughs> 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 you know, and various things. And it's, it's, and the, and the fact that they're dealing with the la the lag of uh, information, basically empires are hard to keep together when it takes months sometimes for an imperial order to make its way out to the, to the fringes. Exactly, and that's and so what you have there's a lot of autonomous areas, and the autonomous areas have their own subautonomous areas, <laughs> you know, basically you know, vying for things. I mean, there 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 are um, I think the two houses are the Vorlon and the the Vorlon, the Vorlani, the, and the, the Gore something. The Vorlani, the ones that are attacking Isco space. And attacking the frontier worlds. Actually, they're not attacking Isco space. They're attacking unaligned worlds. For the listeners, because we're still explaining the setting, Isco. Oh, the interstellar cooperative, and it's a um, interstellar uh, scientific cooperative. Yeah, interstellar scientific cooperative. Thank you. And it's um, a loose United Nations. Yeah, it's a, it's a United Worlds. Yeah, it's more a federation. Like, it's, yeah, federation, but not a federation because that's we would get in trouble with that name. Uh, but it's a uh, or a consortium. Actually, be more like a consortium. Yeah, of various corporate governments, because that's what happened during during the early years of uh, on Earth was that basically most of the world governments fell and they were replaced by corporate governments, more or less. The corporations took over. Uh, the biggest course. Yeah, the biggest one was the BCS, the the uh, Brazilian uh, corporate state run by Francesco Amaximo. Yeah. But he disappeared fairly early on. But the Brazilians were very, very they were uh, they were good about what they did. But then yeah. several major corporations caused major problems. They got into a war with the Kimnar and held them for almost eighty years. The Celestar, yes, Celestar, yeah. yep. And when that when that was, there was a treaty of honor with the Kimnar, mm -hmm. which was pretty fantastic. That was twenty two forty eight, and uh, one freighter captain who got involved in the middle of it and fixed and and made it known what happened almost of his life, and then basically created the cooperation event. The, the Kimnar became the the military for Isco. Yeah, the Kimnar, the Kimnarian Rangers. Yep. 
And the, all, which, all the illustrations for this, which were in the third book, the uh, the third uh, edition, were done by Scott Ruggles, and they were absolutely phenomenal. I, I cannot say it, 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 that it, it created more of the game spirit than anything else. Yeah. Oh no the on the on the race page of the mm -hmm. Kimnar there in ICL body armor with the gun. Oh yeah, that's a fantastic picture. Mm -hmm. Now 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 one thing. Okay, we're going with the background and basically in nine was it ninety seven? I'm looking in history. Yeah, ninety seven, nineteen ninety seven. It all went to crap. Uh, basically, a lot of things, a lot of a lot of countries more or less collapsed through economic and other reasons, economic and, and in environmental reasons. We lost two of our shuttles, and uh, basically, space kind of went on the way on the uh, on the uh, on the sideline, which is it's for more truth for more truth than I really wanted to have predicted. Yeah. Now it was called the lawless years, which really only lasted what seventy years? Not even seventy years. They only lasted what about twenty uh, years. Twenty years, but no, though reading the history, I'd say for for places like Brazil and the southern countries or whatever, yeah, mm -hmm. twenty years. But still, there were places up in North America and Europe that were still not pacified until much later. You know, we still yep. have the wars going on. We have the civil war in Canada. So yeah, I would say the lost years actually for the northern hemisphere probably lasted until what twenty forty eight. Uh, twenty about twenty forty eight. A lot of information was lost in that time because uh, hey, look look how much we have on digital right now. I mean, if if, if you know if there was a a big you know EMP pulse right now, we'd lose. Millions of documents, it's electronic documents, because we don't have anything billions. to back them up. Billions, yes, yeah, billions. Literally, literally. Well, it just depends on whether or not they've been offloaded to DVDs and things like that. That's not going to be affected by a pulse. That's why I that's why I back up all my stuff onto DVDs. Yeah, but DVDs only have like a 20, no, well, good DVDs have like a 40-year lifespan, they estimate. And then they'll delamp. I'll be dead, and then they'll be <laughs> then they'll delaminate. Actually, I came up. I'm actually talking, doing some research on this. What will last? John, I have floppies that are still working after that period of time. Yes, yes, uh, you're lucky. Uh, I have floppies that stopped working within ten years. So everybody has floppies that stopped working. Yeah. TriTac burn, burns backups onto some archival disks that have at least seventy-five to hundred years. Yeah, but turns out because of the way they're manufactured, commercial DVDs are not burned; they're pressed. Pressed. They 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 use dyes to press all those DV, all those DVDs. And guess what? The master dyes are kept safe in a environmentally uh, safe, uh, safe storage uh, vault. So yeah, come the future, um, while people's individual individual documents won't be around. Uh, all the uh, DVD copies of uh, Friends will still be in intact, ready to be, be oh. republished and put out. Oh, goody. <laughs> you know, so yeah, the, the, the point of view of, of, 20th, of 20th century culture will be really skewed based on what's going to be available. <laughs> uh, there is a lovely science fiction story <laughs> about DVDs that survived. And we knew from the DVDs that we could achieve that technology again. And mm -hmm. at the very end of the story, the the head of the uh, the bridge of a starship uh, 
Basically, the guy says, take it out, Warp Factor 1. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, because we, we actually get uh, FTL flight fairly quickly. In fact, I think the first, the, um, there we go. So the Bob first 2050. Yeah. Now, do we develop it ourselves or does it give, is it given to us? No, we make it ourselves. Yep, Herbert and Lashaw. Uh, Janice Herbert and John Lashaw. Yeah, John. Yep, and then they're kidnapped by uh, Amoximo, and they disappear too. Basically, after the first dem- demo of an FTL drive by the Brazil by the Brazilians, uh, folks start glomming onto it, and they start you know building their own. Now these things are death traps. I mean, looking at the data, at the at this data for the face drives back then, they were death traps. You had a good chance of not coming back alive from these trips. <laughs> how many ships? How many Brazilian ships were lost uh, in that jump? Was it like twenty? Yeah, I think forty I mean, left, and the only twenty-four made it back. Yeah, yeah sixteen. Yeah, if you think about that, you know, if that you had the, had that number of airplanes dropping out, that percentage of airplanes dropping out of the sky, then no one ever would fly, you know. Um, but still, yeah, it, it, they got better. I'm sure that was. I'm sure planes were dropping out of the sky all the time in the very early days of flight. Oh, they sure were. Oh yes, but you didn't have the kind of culture we have now. If if, if planes were st- if if we were starting to flight now with the kind of culture we have right now. Um. Yeah, they'd be slapping. Not until you perfect it, do we? Would we let you fly again? Yeah. Yeah, but actually, thankful because with the lawless years, we actually kind of went back to that time period where, yeah, yeah, reckless, you're reckless, and we're not too worried about you know personal personal life and indemnity. So not until we meet the blocks. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it, so at that point we start getting more ships and we start traveling to other places. Now it's fairly slow. Uh, looking at the travel times, we'll get more into that later on. But I'm just going to look at the travel times in general. Oops, went past it. Yeah, yeah the, the early phase drives, drives. The first drives, it would take 85 days to go a light year. None actually did that. The Brazilian was 62 days. Sixty-two days or thirty-one days, depending if you got a good, good back. You had a good uh, tailwind in the phase space. Uh, most of the phase drives that all the earlier ships were in the thirty to yeah, you know, basically a, a thirty to six days. So you have a wide range there. Basically, the more recent phase drives, you got went a little faster. But yeah, it, it took it would literally take weeks or months or years to travel someplace. I mean. Um, uh, I think Formal Hut's 25 light years away. To get to Formal Hut with one of these drives, yeah, you'd be looking at a multi-year trip. You'd actually, the ships would be designed way differently than we would for, I think, the, the modern era, 2448, where travel times are around um, uh, hours, days and hours. So yeah, that's something to consider. So yeah, back then you when someone went, a trip to Alpha Centauri would literally take uh, what um, week? No, no, back then. Trip oh, to back Alpha then. Alpha, 
back to, at at uh, six at eighty five days eighty five days no no at sixty one sixty one days uh, light year uh, that's a good uh, well heck that's almost a year <laughs> it's four point yeah it'd be a year to go out there so those ships really were designed for the long haul you know so yeah a lot of those older ships are have hydroponics and they have the ability to the you know basically they were designed to be like places to live in for years they weren't like you know the modern ships are more right they had they had full recycling okay versus um okay we're just going to store our waste until we get someplace where it can be processed which is a lot cheaper. Yeah, and people want your waste. Trust me, if you're if you're starting a colony on New World, you want what's in those tanks on your world because that's good stuff. It's got lots of microbes in it, and it will help terraform the planet. Please review the Martian. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, you're assuming, of course, that the planet you went to didn't have life to begin with. I hope it doesn't, because if it does, then you got then you got to deal with that local life, because it's not going to be compatible. Or if it is compatible, oh dear lord, something some little some little bug decides that your gut is just the best place to live. <laughs> yep, and then you get the equivalent of the um, uh, was it the Martian flu? <laughs> the Martian's revenge. There we go. The Martian's revenge. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, or other things too. You never know. You never know because if it's mostly compatible, it may be produce things that are not compatible for you. So yeah, it could be uh, fairly nasty at that point. So and allergies. Uh, I would imagine every world you go to, you you bring along a big can of antihistamine because if it is not compatible, whatever they use for pollen will probably cause uh, antihistamine attack. It hit, you know, basically give you allergies. You'll have sneezing and stuff like that. It may just be bad. But anyway, that's, be, that's getting ahead of ourselves. So yeah, the history is, you know, we go for a while before we meet our first alien. Our first alien we meet are the Borcha. Yes, and that is in 2125. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we find out that as we get along with them, they're very similar to us psychologically and culturally. And they like our beer and cigars. Which is crazy <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it also is, is kind of, um, I, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a conceit because even in our own world, we have many different cultures. So it really kind of matches up to the... Um, let us say the redneck culture. <laughs> okay, uh, we never thought that, Bruce. But being from the South, you know. Oh, no, let's not call it the redneck culture. Let's call it the Talladega culture. Mm. Okay, that's much better. <laughs> yeah, it's better than c- coming from the Appalachia culture. <laughs> yeah. They just. Where everybody plays a zither? Yeah. Everybody likes beer, and they like smokables. And there's probably a bunch of stuff that actually went to humanity along the same thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I, well, well let, let's just take a look at this here. Now, these Borcha are... Let, let's go to the... Let's do the. Let's do a little tail the tape, shall we? Um, hey. The Borcha... On average, six to seven feet tall. So you're probably saying 
three to four hundred pounds. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. But give or take, fine. You know that the stuff they made that would give them a mild buzz would put a human in the hospital. <laughs> it's like, here's a thimble of our best. Why a thimble? Trust me, you're getting a thimble. Trav, I'm sure you've had some Kentucky sipping whiskey. Yeah. So I don't think they can hit us with anything too. Bruce, which will take rust off hubcaps. <laughs> well, it's too good for that. That's like, you know, that's slumming. <laughs> well, no, still, you have to remember, Borcha metabolism and physiology are going to be different. Therefore, their drinks will be generally stronger. A human yes. would have to have half and quarter portions of Borcha booze or they'll end up with alcohol poisoning. And their cigarettes also, you know, their smokables are probably going to be a little more potent too. So, yeah, the Borchas be showing this is what we have. The humans be like, that. it said in the article that they liked bars. Probably because you could get plenty of both beer and smokables in these places. And to the mm-hmm. Borcha be like, you can get both in the same place? I can get both. Hey, Charlie, this go over here. No, that would be Charlie. Charlie, <laughs> let's go get smashed at the bar. And after a while, they go, what is this stuff? I'm not getting drunk. <laughs> this is our best whiskey. Fa. <laughs> well, no, the best whiskey, if, it, if it's, uh, if it's uh, 150 proof, that would be, that would give a buzz. Yeah, I mean, just, just give them some Everclear and put some honey in it. Oh no! Oh, I got something. I got something to get a borcha messed up. I don't know if you guys heard of it. It's from Pol- Spiritus. Yes, and we're talking the 192 proof stuff, not the 152 that you get here in Michigan. Oh, basically, so basically the uh, the, the variant of Everclear. <sighs> it's a distilled spirit. I've had Spiritus. Habibi, let me have a sip from a flask. It left a raw patch on the back of my throat for a day. So well, borcha yes. be like. Drinking spiritus going, this is what I'm talking about here. Give me another. Well, no. <laughs> well, no. I, okay, I would say that they're probably not stronger drink, but the, the, their capacity for drink is probably better, bigger than ours. Well, of course, they're bigger than us. Yeah, they're yeah. six to seven feet tall, three to 400 pounds. Yeah, they can drink a lot more. Andre the Giant, I heard of what he could do. And by anybody's standard, he was prodigious. Yeah. Oh. He was very likely drunk during every shot, but you couldn't tell. Well, yeah, because he was always that way. He had a back problem because of his size and stuff, a spinal issue. And so he he used it as a form of um, pain pain control. So, yeah, he was always medicated. Now, one thing that's impressive about the Borcha, I'm looking at the gravity of their home world, 2.35 Gs. Oh, oh, they're from a oh super- God, that means on Earth? They're bouncing like they're, balloon- they're, they're balloons. It, it's like Fantasia where you've got the uh, hippos doing, uh, doing ballet pirouettes. Yeah, for them, everything falls slowly. <laughs> John, I'll be right back. Sure. But, but, yeah, but everything still, is- you have the Borgia, they had heavy construction techniques. Well, they had to because you had to build things... Well, you had oh. to build things to withstand the gravity. Heavy, so heavy, if you were to heavy, build that stuff on Earth, oh, nothing would knock it down. 
no, no, heavy lift vehicles. Trust me on this one. They're probably use. They're probably not using their heavy lift to space vehicles. Are probably not chemical because I can tell you right now from talking to various folks, uh, if you're on a two G planet, you're not getting off with good old L, you know l- liquid hydrogen and oxygen or even liquid oxygen yeah. and kerosene. The only no. way you get off is with Orion nuclear bombs. <laughs> mm. They their their ground orbit craft have to be either fusion powered. Or they are using, are they using Orion and using little nuclear bombs to get into orbit? I would say probably the fusion. They both they're both nasty. They both got the same amount of radiation. You're not going to get away from the radiation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the and but yeah. But the thing is, the the Orion it's um, Orion has amazing delta V, so they could easily break you know get off the planet and break orbit. So yeah, I mean yeah. The, yeah, these guys know how to lift off of plants. They can lift if they bring any of their their heavy lift craft to a place like Earth. Oh yeah, you want to lift that mountain? Yeah, no problem. We get in orbit. <laughs> that would mean the Borcha would have incredible anti grav technology. They would have to. Well, no, remember there's no really anti grav. There's a phase zero pods, and looking at their tech with when we found them, they are still at the same level of tech. In fact, that's an important thing you look at. Every race we run into is in the same level, which kind of does say someone in back in time, uh, 200,000 years ago, fiddled with a lot of races. Either that or they're intentionally suppressing. Like the Krell, like the Krellvin, I wouldn't put that past them. They're the ones that bioengineered themselves, and these guys can do anything that they want to. Okay, the Krellvin, again, another race in, in the game. Mm-hmm. Incredible biotech mm-hmm. sciences, very weird senses of humor. Yep. They do a lot of things for S and G, and you people will know what S and G means. <laughs> Smiles and giggles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put it that way. And yeah, that's what Sterner stick with to it. And they will just do things for S and G, and most people will just be like, "Why did you put a tail on that?" Because it was funny, you know. They're like Rocket Raccoon, you know. But yeah, yeah the Krobin, I would see them suppressing tech around this part of the galaxy. Just as it'd be a big experiment for them. Yeah, let's see oh, yeah. which one actually gets out in the space first. I got 20 credits on the humans, you know. Yeah. Now, I will, I, I'm the first one to say the pictures you see of Krelvin, that's just one Krelvin in three different poses. Cause, because the Krelvin can, can or so, because the Krelvin can do whatever the Krelvin want. That's just, just what one Krelvin looks like. The rest of them can look whatever they want to look like because they're all individuals. So this is, so the pictures in the book is just one Krelvin and how he likes to walk around and, and, and talk to people. Another, another possibility, and it also falls along with either the suppression or acceleration of technology, is the rule of thumb has always been that the superior technological culture destroys the inferior technological culture. So the only way, and so the crowd, been knowing that all these people were going to go out into space, instead of saying, okay, you know, we've already seen galactic empires, yawn, you know, we were one ourselves, yawn, we want to see something a little bit more interesting. Well, the only way of doing that is to get everybody out there into space at the same level, relatively speaking, okay? 
level mm-hmm. playing field. Yeah, right. And so you engineer it in such a way so that you know information gets dropped at the right time. You know, you got your open hotline going. Whatever. The point is, is that everybody gets to the space and they're like, wow, look, this is amazing. We're all pretty much at the same level. I mean, there's a few things we do better, but then you do something else a little better. Hey, we got something to trade. We got something to share. You know, we each can feel good about ourselves and not feel inferior to you, and we can actually become friends. Sounds like a plan to me. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Def- oh, and Richard's back. He's probably smiling at that because it's probably, you know. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, we, we uh, as you know, races are, are you know, as races are con- uh, contact. In fact, with the, the some of the races like the war, were sort of contacted after the fact. We landed on their planet, we started building a colony, and then someone realized that's not an animal. It looks uh, basically okay. Were um, the only way to describe were um, are where's a good picture of a were. Uh, where where are you? There you are. Little furry <laughs> creatures that roll around on the ground, and you lift them up, and they got like three balls underneath them that they roll on. Six balls. They're like track balls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they basically they get high in sugar. They basically way 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 figure it. They can per more or less metabolize sugar straight into alcohol. So you give them you know, and so you give them a big pile of sugar, and they'll get blasted. And they only talk in the radio waves. So a blasted were broadcasts over the local radio, over the local AM band. There's got to be a joke here. Oh, no, it's drunk calling. They drunk call everyone. There you go. Uh, but, yeah, we're actually only speaking radio waves. So, yeah, that's the reason why we never didn't know they were there, because they were probably talking in the AM band. And I would say a lot of these colonies are probably operating in the FM or, 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 or higher frequencies, because that's, you know... That's pretty much what we're doing right now. Your Wi-Fi and your Bluetooth are all operating in the higher in the higher frequencies. Yeah. So yeah, they're in the AM band, and the, no one's noticing them at that point until someone realizes: Are they building things? Actually, they don't build things; they grow things because they are very much biological. Their spa- their spaceships are giant whirs. They look like a roach. It's best way to say a big cockroach with tentacles. Yeah, and four and four eyes. Um, and they may or may not be uh, con- constructs. I don't. I think they are. I think they really are constructs. Someone made them like this. I don't. I can't see these things evolving naturally. Um, and according to Richard, uh, when they procreate, uh, the female were loses her balls, and they turn to eggs, and then the male. Let's her use his balls. Me and Pixie are just raising our hands and <laughs> like we're about to say something, and we're just like, no, let it go. <laughs> hey, when I haven't talked about you know that 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 one fr- that one phrase that got started with blocks, it's more confusing than a Bloxian uh, orgy. Oh, considering that blocks just have six sexes. Okay, yeah, the blocks, <laughs> the race. Um. A ball of fur with a bunch of legs, a lot of teeth, I think more than two eyes, and an incredible affinity for bureaucracy, especially everything filed in triplicate on paper. The more paperwork, the better. Yes, 
but they do it well. They do it well, but paper in in the 24th century where everything's Huge digital stacks of paper perfectly filed perfectly, perfectly sorted perfectly yes. stacks yeah well see that's all part of the plan see because they do it well everything is done that way so they become in, in they're not invaluable they're they're irreplaceable because nobody else could do it nobody else could make sense of it yeah yeah so they are the masters of the gal- galaxy. Yeah, they're the bureaucrats. Yeah, they're, they're, they are the bureaucrats of the galaxy. They basically do every, you know, uh, they do all the paperwork. They uh, handle everything, um, and uh, they all, and uh, at least at least uh, in my game, they also have some the hottest cuisine, spiciest cuisine in the galaxy. In fact, some of their spicy cuisine is lethal to at least half the known sentience out there. So you can't. So they always say, "Oh, let me do a bioscan on you." Okay, you can have this, this, and this. This, this, this will kill you. Uh, some of the things will literally melt your mouth off. Yeah. Well, if you've seen the mouth on a box. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, they're spicy, you know. So, and, and the thing is, what we consider hot, spicy food, they go, "Oh, that's nice, that's cute." Yeah. So yeah. the Scoville, <laughs> so the Scoville scale would be probably in the tens of millions. Oh, they 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 pop ghost peppers like they're candy. And folks, okay, and folks, the Carolina Reaper, which is the current hot pepper on the block, mm-hmm. two. Point five million Scovilles. It's made by the Pucker Butt Pepper Company down in North Carolina. I have an acquaintance who knows the owner, and it's a a hybrid of the ghost pepper and the habanero. Ooh. So some somebody's intentionally trying to make them hotter. Well, yeah, no, oh, yeah. they're growing them they like are. this. They purposely grow them to to break that record and have the world's hottest pepper. But the blocks would be popping that. Carolina Reaper, like, eh, it's cute. Yeah, It'd be eating them like Chex Mix. Like, yeah, yeah. But it's like they're bowl of Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta be careful when you go into a Bloxy at home and they have a bowl. It looks like a bowl of candy. Ask first before you take one. So you, you will never regret asking. Yeah, you will never regret asking. <laughs> yeah, watch out for the beer nuts in the bar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Besides the normal nuts, yeah. Let's see. Also, other races, and it's funny because humanity throughout time uplifted several of Earth's animals. We're talking gorillas, orangutans, mm-hmm. chimpanzees, yep. dolphins, orca. Well, technically, we did not uplift the dolphins and orca. We just gave them tool, gave them hands, so they actually could could do something. So well, technically, I mean, dolphins, we, it, it's been confirmed that dolphins are as smart as humans. We just basically breached the language barrier. No, we, we can we can make we can make yeah because basically the big thing is dolphins. Well, they're in water, so making fire and you know making tools like that don't have didn't happen until they were given um, you know waldos and you know basically ability to use arms again, arms and legs. So yeah, you'll see a dolphin stomping through. Now remember, dolphins are like about eight feet long. Yeah, 
So a dolphin walking through some place is a big is a big thing to walk through. Okay, John, they're more like twelve foot long. Okay, yeah, twelve foot long. You're right. Sorry. Yeah. I just, I just went swimming with them. They're 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 deceptively small because you see them in the water and then you go and grab onto one of them and you realize you're like a child to them, and you're a full grown six foot adult. Yeah. And then now, you have the, also the orcas. Well, gorillas. Remember, yeah. there was Coco, the one that learned sign language, and mm-hmm. it did it quite fluently. So, I mean, there were certain animals that were already intelligent. Others we had to uplift because we have near pets as well, which are like dogs and cats that have been lifted up mm-hmm. to semi-sentient status. There's also, you got the people, I mean, Coco would be arguably a genius amongst gorillas, okay? We're talking about uplifting their intelligence so the average is human intelligence. We're, we're not trying to take anything away from Coco. We're just simply saying is that there was still room for improvement as a species. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, Coco was at the level we would say Homo erectus was at uh, in terms of you know, thought and capabilities. Uh, maybe even a little bit of speech because you know, they, they keep pushing the speech – when when speech started, they keep pushing it back, as they keep finding more things like you know, uh, was it hyoid uh, bones or basically the bone you need in your throat to, to have uh, uh, to have have your vocal cords work properly. Uh, the hyoid bone, that, that's it. And they keep finding these things and going, okay, well maybe Homo erectus could also say a few words, maybe not a whole lot, but you know some. You know, and uh, but yeah, so the so I would say what happened with the gorillas because they are you know our nearest neighbor, our nearest neighbors genetically. Uh, we probably gave them a little human genes. Well, yeah, because you know? there's only I think three percent of our DNA differs us from a chimpanzee. So, yeah, two percent. Uh, oh, okay, I heard it was three. There's a, but only only ten percent separates us from a mollusk. Yeah, Ooh. and it's like one point six between us and bonobos. So yeah, and I know it's, uh, this is this is obviously written back before people knew about bonobos because bonobos would also be out here too because bonobos are are a variant. They're a, they're another okay. You call them chimpanzees, but bonobos are a variant chimpanzees. Uh, they are they are a distinct distinctly different species of chimpanzee. Uh, they're the ones that are uh, they are ruled by females. And they solve problems by having sex with everyone. <laughs> Look it up, folks. John's, John's right. Yeah, I had a year of primatology, and I hate chimpanzees with a passion. <laughs> However, orangutans are marvels. Yep. But they'll rip your arm out of the socket to give them half a chance, too. Nope. Uh, <laughs> nope. Not orangs. Well, okay, orangs ostensibly are stronger than chimps, yes, but they're gentler and they're they're nicer people. Chimps will just rip your arm off and laugh. Yeah, yeah. Remember yeah. Bubbles? Michael what? Michael Jackson's chimp Bubbles. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah they had to put him in a put him uh, didn't had to put him in a, in a, in a uh, place. Oh, the same place they put uh, what's his name from. Um, Project X, or was that that wasn't Bubbles though, was it? No. Oh, there, there's a, there is a there is a sanctuary for all the chimpanzees that had gone through a lot of uh, 
uh, this medical training and stuff, and including the ones who would learn sign language. And they taught them, taught sign language to their kids. Mm-hmm. But yeah. But yeah, bonobos would be, bonobos would be, wouldn't be as bad as chimpanzees. Uh, but yeah, I mean, actually, I think Planet of the Apes, the, the remake, got kind of right. Chimpanzees, they're the ones to worry about. Gorillas, the gorillas are the are the are the nicest of the bunch. It just you know, in terms of temper. Oh no, gorillas. a gorilla! If you if you get a gorilla angry, uh, they still yeah, they're very territorial. But as long as you respect that, they're usually okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking of Diane Fossey. She got right up there, uh, up up in, in personal with the with the uh, with the gorillas. Yeah, she also spent a year basically crouching next to them at a distance until they got used to her. Yeah, that's true, yeah. They finally accepted her as being part of the of the of the landscape. <laughs> then she could actually start doing stuff. Again, not taking anything away from Diane Fossey. She she was that was an amazing, amazing thing that she did. Yeah, and we're and going back to cetaceans, of course, you know, we have also have orcas. And you can imagine one of these guys walking down a street, the whole street. Um it well, is, yeah, it is the, armature. The size, the size of, yeah, the size of an yeah. orca in a robotic exoskeleton walking around, it would be like a parade float, folks. Yeah. How about a drunken orca coming back from leave? Um, no, I don't want to think about that. (laughs) What's called the drunkard walk. (laughs) Stepping on small vehicles, kicking whir out of the way. (laughs) And and, and one thing, Richard, I I love the picture you have in the book with the dolphins uh, in their spacesuits. It's entirely wrong. You don't want water in the suit because they'll drown. That water goes everywhere, and they would drown. What they really would want is just a a wetsuit, a literal wetsuit, you know, like some sort of sponge that with capillary action keeping them moist. Oh, thank you. I'll I'll go back and and chastise the artist who did it thirty years ago. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker. You best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts. Cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.